0: I invite you to remain standing as we hear the gospel of the day from the 17th chapter of John, beginning at verse 20 through 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, and in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me May be in them, and I in them. This, my friends, is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock, our Redeemer are one who prays for us, even Jesus. Amen. 28 days ago, I was overcome by an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression. I've had a hard time of trying to understand why that feeling just fell on my soul. Now, I knew that I was in the very midst of discussions with you as your pastor and you, my beloved people, that I would be moving very soon. And while that is heavy on my heart, I've done this before a few times, probably more than I'd like to count. I know this has to be. This is the Methodist way. I just sold my forever home. Sally and I had saved and scrimped and found the right place. And Well, if you're going to move, you can't stay in your home. It's really hard to commute to Augusta from Atlanta. And there was a sense that those who bought the home didn't seem as excited about it as we did at the closing table. And so I felt sadness about that. And then there was my first baby. He'd kill me if I just called him a baby turned 33. I don't know how that happened. I was holding him yesterday, coaching his little league team. But we want them to grow and to become all that God has for them. So why was my heart so heavy, my spirit so overcome with a sense of dread and sadness? And then I was reminded That it was on this day, 28 so days ago, that my beloved United Methodist family began the official proceedings for divorce. To me, and my simple mind, that's exactly what has been happening. The together home I have known since my baptism on the second Sunday in June in 1960 is being torn asunder. And now, to make it worse, there seems to be a battle for the material possessions, the land, the buildings. But what's worse is there is a battle for the custody of the children, you and me. With what I call half truths and lies being spoken against my church, against the United Methodist Church. On May 1st, the Global Methodist Church officially launched and became a denomination separate and apart from the United Methodist Church. Ties that once bound us as siblings in Christ were severed in the name of dogma and theology the desire to make the disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world split down the middle with the idea that some are worthy of being disciples and the rest have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy. As we move forward this week into conference here in North Georgia, my heart thinks of the church, the church that I love, The church that we sang of this morning in our first hymn, that church that has held me for 62 years and told me I was a child of God. Oh, Jesus, how can we be one anymore? To be truthful, I needed to share this word with you this morning as we face conference, as we look into a future of uncertainty to give you my understanding. And, of course, my understanding is is couched in reading and studying and thought. And one of my sources this morning is Bishop Will Willimon, and I will be using some of his texts liberally in the midst of mine that hopefully will give us some clarity to this question, can we be one anymore? A few weeks ago, we gathered in this space and celebrated an empty tomb the resurrection, and now we have the ascension this past week. Jesus, who was crucified, now triumphs and sits at the right hand of God. And yet we're still trying to figure out the meaning of all of this and at the same time await the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost next Sunday. It might be a good time, though, for us to return to Jesus' prayer to his prayer in those farewell passages of John's Gospel. Note that the prayer has a future focus. Note that Jesus prays for his disciples and what they have ahead of them, but also note that Jesus is praying for you and for me, those who will come and believe, his future disciples. That's who we are. The focus of his prayer for us in this section is a prayer that all of his followers will be united. I wonder if Jesus prays this prayer, Willimon says, because he realized that his disciples were not united. Sometimes we say that a crisis brings a community together. But if we're honest, we also know that a crisis can tear us apart, bringing pressure upon the community, a pressure that the community is able to withstand Fragmentation results throughout the Gospels. My friends, the writers have been quite candid in portraying the students' petty squabbles as well as their jealousy and the division among these disciples. Surely here at the final meal as Jesus is praying, there were divisions among them. Would all this change after Christ's ascension? Would things be magically harmonious? Of course not. Think of our own congregation. If our church is like most churches, unity in Christ has been hard to come by at times. We're not alone. We are not one. I've never seen America less united, someone said the other day. We would do well to ask in response to such a statement Just when was the golden age when the nation was united? American history is a history of fractions and divisions, including a murderous war amongst ourselves. Hardly civil, if you would ask me. And the church? Well, we haven't fared much better. I can't believe, says one, that the United Methodist Church is dividing. Really? How do you think we got the United Methodist Church? In the first place, through divisions among the Protestant Reformation, followed by the Methodist breakaway from the Church of England, and so Methodists came on over to America. Another pastor has even said, well, I'm not leaving the United Methodist Church. My church has left me. Well, (laughs) la-di-da. Separation and division have been ever with us, friends. Friends. But so has Jesus' earnest prayer that we are to be united. Jesus does not say in his prayer, I know that there are perfectly good reasons for their basic divisions and factions among them, O God. It's only human nature. No, rather Jesus prays that all of his followers should be one. He makes no distinction between his deeply faithful followers and his more casual disciples. He says all. He says one. As we listen in, on his prayer, we know that he is beseeching God on behalf of all of us. He prays those who will believe in me. You and me. That's That sentence is us. So immediately after these questions... Uh, questions do arise. Do we have to get along no matter what? Are there times when there are higher values than ecumenical or inter-ecclesiastical unity? Aren't there times when a preacher must risk causing division and disunity in order to preach God's truth and righteousness? Then there are some people who just don't seem able Because of their personalities or religious backgrounds or whatever, it seems that for them incapable of ever becoming a part of the cohesive group. Those are all appropriate questions to ask, but we would do well to remind ourselves that they do not seem to be questions that are a great concern to Jesus. As he straightforwardly and passionately prays for the unity of his followers. Again, and listening in on Jesus' prayer, we hear that our unity, our oneness, is to be a witness to the world of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. No oneness and unity without love. If you've ever been part of a family or a marriage, if you've ever been a member of a church, you know that within the bonds of love, there can be much disagreement and contention. In fact, some of our most serious arguments can be signs that we do indeed deeply love one another. If we didn't care about each other, why would we take the trouble to stay and fight? Perhaps, Willimon says in the prayer that all his followers might be one, Jesus is giving us instructions on how to fight with one another in the church. We can have strong disagreements when our discussion is framed by strong determination to obey Jesus Christ and to love one another. The unity that Jesus prays for is akin to the deep communicative unity within the heart of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As the church ancients have said, these three are one, Because of who God is in God's complete Trinitarian unity, union, communion, and oneness are built right into the center of our universe. When we work for the unity of the church, we are not attempting to achieve an impossible goal. We are moving with the grain of the universe as God created it. But friends... Many are choosing not to stay and to work through the issues. So I have to ask again, will we ever be one anymore? I wish it would be as simple as saying they need to come around to the truest theological understanding that all are God's beloved children and are one with God who has created us just as we are. But to simply wish it is not only foolish, but a waste of precious time. As we've said this past week, it's like praying. Praying without doing anything to bring that prayer to fruition. Note again, Jesus prays that His followers, that's us, will be unified so that the world will believe that God sent Him and sends us. Let's be honest. Our disunity is an impediment to our evangelistical efforts to witness to Jesus Christ. The world looks at us and says, if Jesus is about love for one another, how come there are dozens of different Christian denominations and thousands of bitterly divided Christian congregations? And today, why are the Methodists so not united? Well, time is precious. For we have what the business world calls some very bad press right now. And I get it. Love and hate cannot s- exist on the same plane. The community is looking at us and wondering do they really love, do they really accept, do they really serve all, even their enemies? And is it, and it is this community that it seems itself to be driving a wedge in the church because? Rightly so, they see us spending time dealing with this disillusionment of our family while children are being massacred in around the, the globe. "I'm trying to lead a church," a pastor said, where half of them get their news from Fox and the other half from MSNBC, Groused and humbled and tired. And while I'm trying to preach the good news, he said, that can bring us together, they're trying to pigeonhole my message into one of the two containers. Bishop Willimon responds that the media identifies a plethora of segments and plays to our separation. We find ourselves living in a functional equivalent of gated communities in which personal preferences tend to outweigh a sense of common purpose. The subjective feelings of individuals along with the fulfillment of individual desires preoccupy our divergent culture. There's no way we can be one. Except for the one truth. Except for the one truth that Jesus Christ is still praying for you and me. Jesus, God's Son... The Savior of the world prays for us to His God. And when He prays, what does He pray for? I pray that You will be one. God, just as You are in me and I am in You, I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that You sent me. So my spirit's heavy, beloved, but my faith is strong. I believe We will survive these dark days and I believe that we, the church of Jesus Christ, will be one. I believe this because Jesus is praying for us and we who remain in this house, this home called the United Methodist Church, will begin again to start to live in love and acceptance and service even in our disagreements and in our divisions. We will keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the love of Jesus Christ. And we will be one. And God will win as God comes to claim God's church again. God's united family. A family with many names who are loosely one now, but will be one tightly and fully then. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the First and the Last, the beginning and the end. This is God we're talking about, and nothing stops God's plan. God's people will stand as one even as people may leave today. If we who remain stand as one in Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to the whole world, we'll be one. We must keep on loving. Keep on accepting. Keep on serving. As you do here, do it for an example to the rest of the United Methodist Church. We must adhere to the articles of religion, our statements of faith, our Apostle Creed, or as the social principles said this morning in our affirmation. We must seek the truth. We must allow conversation. We must agree to allow differing understandings. We must really, really, really open our hearts, our minds, and our doors. We must keep the course to make disciples for the transformation of the world, to do the ministry in which this church and the United Methodist Church has been called to do. Annual conference will be tough. But God's church and God are tougher. And we will be one. One now, one then, one forever. Let the remnant say Amen. In the name of the Creator and of the Redeemer and of the Sustainer. Amen.